Isaiah. Isaiah chapter number 33. Isaiah chapter... Begin to move underneath you, and uh, and to move around, and it's got to be a terrifying thing to feel like. Uh, I think one person described to me that one of the most terrifying things about an earthquake is that they, you know, you're in, you have no control. You're completely out of control. You have no control over anything. Um, one of the worst earthquakes that's happened in recent times is an earthquake that happened in Haiti. In Haiti killing thousands and thousands of people, and uh, I'll never forget the, the night that Brother Alexander, a missionary that we support in the country of Haiti, came by our church and updated us, and he, um, he talked about how him and his wife were in his office, and he was watching the uh, concrete, they, and there they, all, the, all the buildings are concrete, and the ceiling was concrete, and he could see the concrete above him just moving back and forth. And he was waiting at any moment. He said he looked at his wife and he said, he said, sweetheart, he said, I'll see you in heaven. He knew he, knew he was going to die. He just knew it. And God protected them miraculously. But he remembers going out into the streets the next few weeks. And they literally, literally uh, thousands, thousands of people lined up in the streets. All that had died, died from the earthquake. It was a terrible experience. Horrible thing. And earthquakes, they move us. They're unsettling. And sometimes when you look around at the world that you're living in, you can sometimes think to yourself that this whole world that we're living in is basically on an earthquake. It's just unsettling. You can look around and you can say, times are not easy, times are crazy, or however you might want to word it. And... Uh, Say, so, man, it's just not a kind of unsettling times that we live in. But I want to remind you that, as I did last week, that if we're going to be able to make it through any unsettling time in our life, then we must learn to do certain things. One of those things that we saw last week was learn how to abound. 
abounding, even though there's times of doubt in our life, times of heartache, times of trial. We must learn to abound, knowing that whatsoever we do in the Lord is not in vain, that God will bless it, that we'll reap if we faint not. I read about an earthquake not too long ago in my Bible. It was found in the book of Numbers, Numbers 16. It was whenever Moses was being challenged by the sons of Korah, by Korah and Abiram and some other men. The Bible tells us that what happened whenever the earth began to quake and it opened up and what everybody else did. The Bible says, and all of Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also. They ran. Why did they run? Because they were there to complain too. They were on shaky ground. They felt the earth begin to move. You know who didn't move that day? Moses and Aaron didn't move. They stood still. Why? Because they weren't on shaky ground. They knew that they were in right standing with God. I'll tell you what, there's one thing about it is this, is that when you know you're in right standing with God, you're on solid ground. You're on solid ground. You ever been in a situation before where telling the truth was going to hurt? It wasn't going to be easy. It was, in fact, it was going to be hard and it might actually cost you something. But even after you told, but after you told the truth, you know what? You were standing on some pretty solid ground because you told the truth. There's nothing to debate the truth. You can't debate it. You, You can't argue against the evidence against the truth. And one, strong, one sure way to have a strong footing in this world that we live in is to make sure that we're standing for what is right. Standing for what is right. That's why I've called your attention here to the book of Isaiah, chapter number 33, especially here in the verses 15, 16, and 17. In verses 15, 16, and 17, he gives us a if you will, a prescription for having a sure footing by standing right. He tells us in verse number 15, he says, He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions, that shaketh his hand from holding bribes, that stoppeth his ears from hearing of blood, and shutteth his eyes from seeing evil, he shall dwell on high. His place of defense shall be the munitions of rocks. Bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the lamb that is very far off. 1 Peter 1.15 says this, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. It means... In all your walk and everything that you do, live a holy and righteous life. You can always notice when a Christian is getting off of firm foundations whenever they start mixing in with things that the Bible clearly tells us not to do with. You know, I think of you're going to have issues, you're going to have problems. You can't sell implements of war to the North Koreans and to the Americans at the same time. Does that make sense? (laughs) It doesn't work that way. That's shaky ground. And you can't play with the world 
and be a Christian at the same time. You'll find yourself on some unwavering soil. On some wavering soil, I should say. And so in Isaiah chapter number 33, he gives us this good prescription on what to do. How should we live as believers? How should we live and how should we stand for what is right? Now, if you'll bear with me on the first point, I promise you that the last two will be very short. All right? Can we make an agreement there? The first point is our longest point because it deals with all the things of righteousness and what is right and what is good. And he tells us that in verse 15. He says, he that walketh righteously. Here in this particular list that he's going to outline for us, he tells us that this is just a really a general list. And really the word walking righteously is a general way of saying of being right with God or doing things right according to God. And that's helpful. It's helpful if we can all know how to do right according to the way that God tells us to do right. If God has been gracious enough to give to us some instructions on how to do things, we ought to follow those instructions, amen? We ought to listen to what God has to say to us. Those people that are so gracious to us to give us the instructions whenever we have to put something together, we ought to be thankful for that, especially if it's from Ikea, right? Uh, anybody ever put something together from Ikea? You know what that stands for, don't you? Ikea is French for takes eight hours to put together. So, uh, but you're, you're thankful for the instruction book because you're glad that you can see some pictures or you can see some diagrams. You can see somehow, some way to put the thing together and you can make something, uh, you can make nothing out of something, it seems like. And we've been given a wonderful instruction manual. It's called the Bible. Amen. And every once in a while in the scriptures, you get little, little tidbits, you get these little instructions, you get a little list. Paul's very famous for his list, but you get these little lists that are given to us in order that we may be helped in how to live a righteous life, a good life. I was out and about today, and one thing that occurred to me as I was walking around, I don't know why, I don't know why it's taken me a year to, to, for this occur to me, but it just occurred to me today as I was out and about. Maybe it was because it was the first day of Wednesday or whatever it was, you know what I mean? The, everybody was going on about maskless Wednesday or whatever. It really wasn't the whole reason why I was thinking about this, but for some reason, as I was out and about today, something just occurred to me, hit me like a ton of bricks. That was this, is that as I was looking at everybody around wearing mask and doing these and listen to me if you want to wear a mask or I'm not there's a message not on mask okay that's not the point all right but what occurred to me was this as I was looking around I'm seeing all these people they're wearing their masks they're doing this they're doing that I see the little signs on the doors and everything and you've seen these for a year now right you've seen these all over the place and you hear people talking about it on the news, you hear people talking about it here, you hear the governor talking about it, the mayor talking about it, the, everybody's, everybody's talking about it, and they've, they're all so concerned about uh, the thing that we've called COVID-19. But what hit me with a ton of bricks was this, is that people are so concerned about these things, about doing this and doing that, and health and safety for everybody. Everybody says, when I left the store today, they said, have a safe day, you know? Have a safe day. And I, and I want to have a safe day. Amen? 
<laughs> How many wants to have an unsafe day? Anybody in here? I don't want. I want to have a safe day. Amen. I want to be. I want to be safe on the roads and safe everywhere. Amen. But in Isaiah 33, he gives us a prescription on how to be safe. But what occurred to me was this. When I was watching everybody around, I thought to myself, and I wasn't making judgments or anything, but I just was wondering in my mind, I was thinking, how many of these people are in an extramarital affair? How many of these people told a lie to their boss today? How many of these people blaspheme God this morning? I wonder how many of these people have hate in their hearts towards somebody or unforgiveness towards somebody else. How many of these people that I'm watching around, they're proud or arrogant? How many of them just, cheat, just cheated on a test, disobeyed their parents or dishonored their parents or just said some ugly word to somebody? But yet we're so concerned about health and safety. We're so concerned about these things that, that, that I, people are, and, and people are, are mad about it. I mean, you find people that will, that will fight people over, over it. And, uh, but yet they'll go home and cheat on their husband. Or they'll go home and lie, or they'll go to work and lie to their boss. But yet they're going to wear their mask. Or they're going to wash their hands. Or they're going to do this, but they have total disregard for the Word of God. Do, you, do, do, do we see the irony in that? There's a great irony in that. There's a great uh, uh, doom boggle, if you will, when I think about it like that. Wearing a mask or opening a door for someone or saying thank you or please or chewing while your mouth is closed, or washing your hands, or saying God bless you to somebody that just sneezed, or only using the left lane for passing, my friend, does not make you a righteous person, okay? But yet our world has confined it to that. And I hate to tell you, but if you're going to base your righteousness solely upon the world's standards of righteousness, you'll be sorely disappointed. Because God's standards are much higher. If you want to do those things, that's great. Yes, I am infuriated by people that use the left lane to cruise around in, all right? <laughs> How many else? That just that. It, Hit the gas pedal. Come on. We need to move on here. This is, this is the passing lane, okay? But you get my point, I hope. I'm just saying here tonight that we've, this world has established so many things, and yet they have forgotten the greatest establishment of all, and that's the Word of God. They forget to walk righteously. And I'm speaking mainly, to, obviously, to Christians here tonight, I believe, but we ought to walk righteously. And I believe this is a general rule. I believe this is the, kind of the heading for the rest of the text here in Isaiah 33. If you just came in, Isaiah 33, verse 15. This is kind of the heading for the rest of what we're about to say here this evening. But this overall statement of walking righteously, living righteously. He's encouraging them in this verse to live and to walk and to do what is good and what is right. Uh, you know, I saw an ad the other day and that just it said, just wear it, right? Just wear it. Well, why don't we just do what is right? Amen. Why don't we just do what is right? 
Do what is good according to what God says is right and what is good. Live daily. The, the walk, and this might help you out as you read your Bibles, but as you, in the walk, the, the word walk in, in Jewish literature and, uh, and, 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 in, and in the Word of God does not mean like walking so much. Okay, you can read this in your New Testament too, but it's not so much that you're walking in life. Walk in the Bible and in Jewish literature was your life. Um, and, and this is still very prevalent in a lot of in a lot of and in a lot in 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 Israel. People walk together. They, they walk together. They, when they walk, they, they walk in the evenings. They talk amongst one another. Uh, we're Americans. We're, we're, we sit at home and just kind of watch our TV, right? You know what I mean? We, we, and, and, and text on our phones. We don't get out and walk with each other and just have a good time and uh, fellowship with one another. But in, in those countries, they walk with each other. They talk, they, and it's a way of life. Walking is a way of life. It's, it's who you are in life. The walk is your everyday life. It's what you do on a day-to-day basis. So what's the point? The point is this, be righteous in everything you do. Be righteous at church, be righteous at home, be righteous at your job place, be righteous everywhere. Everywhere you go, walk righteously. Because, listen, they didn't have Dodge, Chevy, Toyota, and the rest of them there in Jewish days either, in the Bible times either, right? Most people traveled by way. And one of the that's why the book of Proverbs is so helpful and vital to you. I encourage you, if you've never read the book of Proverbs, here's an easy way to do it. Read one proverb a day. Proverbs chapter 1 lines up with, with, day, with day number 1. You've got 31 Proverbs usually, and you have, at the most, 31 days in a month. So read a proverb a day. What, is the pro- what are the Proverbs there for? They are there for practical daily application of your life. Uh, that's why, uh, look, read, read the law sometime. Go back to Deuteronomy and read the law, and you'll find practical, everyday laws that were there. Let me just read you one. I, th- I thought of this one when I was studying this. When thou buildest a new house, because in those days, houses had flat roofs, okay? He said, so, when you build a new house, then you should also uh, make a battlement for the roof. You should put a fence on the roof. Why? That thou bring not blood upon thine house if any man fall from thence. Does that make sense? You got a flat top roof. A house was not just made to, people would go upstairs on top of the roof. They would hang out. They would. This is where they would have big dinners at, on top of the roof of the house and everything. And so build you a fence around there in case what? In case Gunner or Gage decide to get a little too crazy and run off and don't fall off the roof, right? You know, and Miles and Gunner are playing, and man, they don't bump each other, and one goes flying, right? That, so put a fence up so nobody's hurt, all right? That would be fun, wouldn't it, guys? I mean, it wouldn't be fun at all. No, you want to do that. Right? So nobody, so nobody, how practical is that, right? And so just do practical, there's practical, everyday living stuff in the Word of God. You're not just righteous in the church. Uh, this comes out a lot of times when people say, I can't believe you would say that in church. Well, we ought to say, I can't believe you'd say that at all, right? Because it's not just church or whatever. It's everyday life. Walk righteously. David said in Psalm 101 too, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. And when wilt thou come unto me? <laughs> when should I do this? When should I let walk, walk like this in a perfect way? Listen to what he says. I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. 
with my house. Yeah. You know, who you are is who you are at your home. Number two, we see that this righteous wall, how are we going to be strengthened? How are we going to stand on a solid ground? By standing for what is right. Living righteously. Walk righteously. Speak uprightly. Speak uprightly. Now this deals with our speech here in Isaiah chapter 33 and verse number 5, 15. He says, he that, or excuse me, he, he that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly. Your words are also what's in check. If you want to have some stability as a believer in Jesus Christ, watch your language. That's what he's telling us. Watch what you're saying. And I don't just mean refraining from using curse words, but watch your tone. Watch your pitch. Watch your sarcasm. Watch your criticism. Watch your disrespectfulness. Be careful not to harp or nag or complain or moan or murmur. Be careful not to insinuate or gossip or cut down. The word uprightly, in fact, can be translated in your Hebrew, in the, from the Hebrew as this, as the word sweet. Sweet. Are your words sweet words? You ever heard anybody say that to you? Say, oh man, those are sweet words. Those are sweet words. Oh, she just talks so sweetly to me. You know, when we're dating our spouses and all, they just we just have sweet words for each other. I mean, you know, just little little nothings in the air and everything. You know, just little little sweet words. Hey, listen, we ought to have sweet words uh, to our spouse all the time. Sweet words. Are your words sweet and kind? Be careful with your words. Let there not be innuendos in your words, hidden meanings. Are, are words that are substitute words for curse words. Be careful with those. But most certainly, when he says speak uprightly, he means this. Speak the truth. Do not lie. Do not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Be careful with your words. Words that will be equitable. Words that will be just. Words that will uh, not imply any kind of lie or, or words that will not hide the facts or try to cover up. Words that will not try to manipulate a situation or get your advantage over someone. These are all ways in which we can learn to speak better and have upright words. And when we have upright words, the Bible promises us, we'll see here in just a moment, that we'll have a sure foundation. We won't be as shaky. We'll be like Nathaniel. And we'll have the testimony of him when Jesus said, Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing if we had that testimony? There's no guile in their mouth. Uh, no lying. No, no manipulations. He says here in the next particular part here, he says, He that walketh righteously and speaketh uprightly, he that despiseth the gain of oppressions. Now, just remember what we're talking about here this evening, okay? We're talking about having a sure foundation. And there's many ways to do this in the Scriptures. Many different ways to have a sure foundation. But one of the ways is to live righteously. And that's what he's describing for us. He's talking about how to live a righteous life. How to live a righteous life. And could I just pause for just a second, as if I need to ask your, uh, you know, uh, on that? Your, could you maybe maybe somebody like, no, you can't pause. You need to keep going. Um, let me just pause here for a second and put this here. It's not a parenthesis at all. But understand, 
and I know I'm talking to a crowd here this evening that probably knows this already, but I never want to just make an assumption. The only way that one can truly ever be righteous and live righteously is to have the righteousness of Jesus Christ upon their life. You cannot be righteous with God. The Bible says there is none, what? Righteous. No, not one. See, none of us are righteous. None of us are upright. None of us can possibly ever complete all of these things and be the perfect person. So you know what God did in His great grace? That's why He sent Jesus. And Jesus did all the things we're talking about perfectly. He fulfilled, in fact, He fulfilled more than that. He fulfilled the whole entire law perfectly to a T. He said there would not be one jot nor tittle that would be lost in it. He did it all. He was perfect, sinless. Why? So that you, my friend, and me could be saved. So that if you would believe upon Him, and when you do believe upon Him, your bankrupt account is credited with Christ's righteousness. See, we have nothing to offer to God. But once you're saved, once you've been born again by the Spirit of God and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Bible lets us know that we ought to walk and to live righteously and godly in this present and evil world that we live in. And when you start to live righteously and godly in this present evil world that we're living in, guess what? You have a sure foundation. Why do you think, why do you think those people in, in the early church were able to, to, to huddle around one another in the midst of uh, of an arena while lions were being let out and they didn't holler around and run around like chickens with their heads cut off but rather they prayed and they sought after God right in the middle in the midst of it all. Why? What, what gave them such strength? It was Christ Jesus is what it was. It was the righteousness in Him not in themselves but in Christ. But also they had a righteous life. How did these people even know who they were? Because they saw it in their actions and who they were. And when you live a righteous life, my friend, you can stand on the truth and you can know that you're on the truth. And the truth has no debate about it. A firm foundation. Standing for what is right. And when you stand for what is right, that means you've got to take some tough stands sometimes. You've got to hate oppression, evil gains, as we might call it. You hate to see people get gain and get advantage over people that are less fortunate. You know that? We don't talk about that one much, but that is something, if you read your Old Testament, you're going to find that God hates so much. He hates the oppression of the poor. He hates it. That is why we as Christians, I firmly believe, should despise all acts of gambling. You say, "Well, I just throw a little, little, a little money on the on, on the on the blackjack, you know, I, you know, it's not, I don't have to find any harm in that and everything." Okay, I understand where you're coming from with that, but just stop for a second and think about the lottery and gambling. Who is affected the most by those two things? The poor. 
Where do you where where are you going to find people that are just destitute, derelict, down and out? You'll find them at the casinos. You'll find them at the dollars. You'll find them at the gas stations, spending every last dollar that they have just in hopes that they will strike it rich. We should have a great despising of the lottery industry and how the state of Texas continues to impoverish the poor people and continuing this abominable practice. We shouldn't support it either. We should despise all the... And I don't think I'm stepping out of line here at all, but listen to me. We should despise the fast cash nows, the pawn shops, and all the rest of them because you know where all of those are situated? My friend, they ain't in Westlake Hills. And you, know, you do it, you catch my grip, trip? They're not in Westlake Hills. Okay? They're not out there right behind the Galleria out in B Cave, okay? I just drove through Barton Springs today. Guess what? Ain't not anyone down that road over there. Down Barton Creek? No, they one over there. Now, but you go over here to Stastny, you walk over here past I-35 and everywhere else, guess what? You're going to find them all over there because guess what they're doing? They're taking advantage of the poor by making, by, by letting them know, hey, we'll loan you money, but at an exorbitant rate, 26%, and then we'll, guess what? Oh, your car, your, your car is your, your, your job is your credit, right? And then what are they going to do? I knew a guy that did this, a wicked man. He did this very thing, sold cars to people, and they knew him knowing full well that they couldn't pay for them, and then what did he do? He went and repoed them. And he sold them to somebody else, and he repoed them. And he, he gloated in the fact that he could sell a car three or four times in a row. I'll tell you right now, that's wickedness, man. I don't want no part of that. That's ungodly. That's unrighteous. They take advantage of them and will to despise and contempt such practices over these things. And again, we should we should be we should we should have despising in our hearts for governments that oppress its people, or the North Koreans and Cuba and Venezuela and Syria and all those wicked places that oppress those people, or the Iraqis and how they were oppressed. But we ought to we ought to despise those kinds of things. We ought not to be like, oh, whatever, that's no big deal. That's their country. They can live however they want to live. They want to live there fine. Fine. We ought not to be like that. That's wicked. We ought to care for people like that and be concerned for things like that. Taking a stand means not taking bribes. He says that right here. He says his hands are holding from bribes. He shaketh his hands from holding bribes. Shaketh his hands from holding bribes. Hey, hey, if I, you know, if you could just fix these books for me, I'll be able to give you this. This ought to be this what shaking your hand means. In fact, the word is a really interesting word. The word shaking of the hand means this. It means the shaking of the mane and roaring of a lion is what it literally means. When somebody comes to you with a bribe to do something evil, because that's what a bribe is. A bribe is to do something evil. Get that straight in our minds, okay? A bribe is to do evil. A reward is to do good. That's why I have no problem... And I had one guy that fussed at me about this one time, about I had a vacation Bible school. I have no problem awarding kids for coming to church 
and saying Bible verses and, and doing what's right and sitting up straight and doing and doing a good job because I want to reward them for doing what is right. You ought to reward It's okay to reward your kid. Say, I'm going to bribe my kids to make their bed and clean and do this and that. That's not a bribe. All right? You're trying to reward them for doing something good. Say, my parents don't do none of that. Well, fine. You ought to do it just because they said so. Because the Bible says, children, you ought to obey your parents and the Lord. Amen? So, uh, so, your parents want to reward you, that's up to them. You leave that between them and God. God will. God will, amen. Praise God. With a long life, the Bible says. So if somebody comes to you and they want to bribe you to change your judgment or to change the, hey, just change those numbers at work or change the books in the accounting department or bribe to keep you quiet about some evil act or bribe you to do evil, my friend, you ought to just take a stand right there and roar like a lion and shake your hand and shake your head and say, no! Oh, I feel like one of the boys ought to just say like a lion, right? You know? No! You know, I mean, just, just roar it up. No! I'm not going to do that. No, thank you. Go away. It ought to be so clear to them that you don't want any part of a bride. And then he says, stop your ears. He says, stop your ears from hearing of blood. What does that mean? That means this. You don't even listen to the arguments of someone that wants to hurt or to kill someone else in an innocent way. That is innocent. You don't even listen to the arguments. That's why I tell you tonight, there is no debate on abortion. It's not like you can debate about it. We're going to have a debate. No, the Bible says stop your ears from hearing of blood. You, you don't even listen to that. You don't even say, no, I know the well-known preacher that said that, that, that was always being enticed to debate God. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to debate God because there is no debate. Truth is truth and right is right and good is good and God is God and there is no debate with God. And the thing about this is that innocent blood, the Bible lets us know there is no debate on it. It's wrong, it's wicked, and it's ungodly. We should never debate what God declares is true. There's no debate upon truth. Don't stand to listen to someone that speaks of killing or hurting the innocent. There is no listening to their justifications. There is no justification behind it. I don't care what the best justification you come up with. And I've heard them all. You say, what about them? Why don't we just say, what about God? What about God? What does God say? And let me even say this real quick, too. I even question sometimes, and I've thought about this lately. I even question sometimes, should we give our time and attention to watch these shows, real shows, about real cases, that shows to us and gives to us step-by-step analysis on how somebody was murdered? The shows on Dateline and all these other shows. When we when we listen to those shows, are we stopping our ears from hearing the cry of the innocent? Or are we not in some way somehow valuing murder 
as entertainment. So, well, that's not the you know the media makes it out like they're bringing awareness to something. Please, I hope that you're past the lies of the media, right? The media is not there to bring awareness to something. The media is there to do what? Make money off of you. Why do you think if they if they if 2020 was not there to make money money make money money off of you? <laughs> if 2020 was not there to make money off of you about a murder that happened to somebody, then why do they still show commercials in between it all? They're there to make money off of you. That's the purpose. We, I, I just wonder, what should we, what should we not? We've got to be careful in what we give our ear to. What do we give our ear to, to listen to and to watch? And then again, he says, and he shutteth his eyes from seeing evil. And man, we could really spend a whole sermon on that. But uh, whenever you consider the amounts and the ways in which we can see evil with our eyes, I, I can't even imagine... That the, 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 that the people in Isaiah would even have a fathomable idea about how we today can see evil in the ways that they saw evil. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, evil is just immediately accessible to us. Right into our eyes. For our TVs, our movies, and our tablets, and our phones, everything we can have right into our eye. And as it's been said, listen to this very quickly. You ever listen quickly before what passes through the eye gate never comes out. What comes in through the eye gate never is allowed back out. And unless by the grace and miraculous mercy of God that it decides to erase some memories from our brain, then I myself, and if I wanted to, could bring up more. But at times, I myself have things that flash across my mind that are wicked and ungodly that I allow to enter here because once they're here, they're etched upon the hard drive of the brain. And in a moment's notice, they may be called right to the forefront of your mind. We ought to be careful with what we watch. We ought to be careful with what we let our children to watch. Well, they're old enough. Hey, listen. There's no age limit. There's no age limit on wickedness. None. There's no age limit on evil. When it comes to evil, if you want to stand on solid ground, you'll shut your eyes. You'll learn to. It's not easy. It's not easy. But you'll learn and so he tells us in verses number 16 and 17, I told you I'd be quick on the last two and I'll keep to my word. He tells us the results. The results, when we do what is right and do what is good, they're restful and it's repairable. It's restful in the sense that he tells us in verse number 16, he says, he will dwell on high. He says, when you live righteously and godly in this present evil world, he tells us, he says, you'll stand on the solid ground, and my friend, you will have good vision. You'll be in a high place. That means you'll be able to see from afar off, is the idea. When a fortress was up on a high place, that you were able to see a long ways off. You could see the enemy coming. You have vision. 
You have an eye that can see the enemy in the distance. So what? So that you can be prepared when the enemy comes. But if you're dabbling with the enemy, and then all of a sudden the enemy is going to be right there in your front gate. But if you're putting the enemy off and standing in a high place, my friend, you can be one that has good vision on a high place. Some might even say you have a prophetic eye. You're almost able to see right into the future of what might be able to happen and what could happen. I read even this morning of Deborah in the book of Judges. Judges, She had good vision, but her counterpart, Barak, did not. She had good vision to know that the enemy was out there and that, that they could be taken if but by the faith of God. But Barak said he would not go unless Deborah, she went with him. Sometimes we lack that vision. He says you will not only be having good vision, but you also have a safe place. He says his place of defense shall be the munitions of the rocks. And I know you've been wondering what munitions of the rocks are. I was. It just means a castle. He says you'll live in a castle. What does that mean? It means you'll be safe. When you live righteously, there's safety. And, and, and practically speaking, when you live a righteous life, you are living a more safe life. Or, no, that's bad grammar. Safer life. When you're living righteously, you're living a safer life. And if you're living, you know, doing heroin and you know, drinking and driving and all those kinds of other things and, and, and hanging out with, with thugs and gangsters. I mean, that's not a safe life, okay? Uh, just, just practically speaking, if you put out those things, the majority of those things, then you can live a practically safe life. But the point is this, is that not just practically, but really you can have a safer life because God is with you and God is your fortress. And, and think about this, God doesn't need to put you in a castle to make you fortified. There was a little man named Elijah that was living in a shack with his servant and the whole entire army surrounded around about them and he said, you know what, I'm not worried because the angels of God were around that army. God will give his angels to keep charge over us. Praise God for that. You do what is right and leave God to the rest. He'll keep you safe and secure. You'll have food to eat, he even says. He said, bread shall be given him. You'll be steadily and supplied with bread and food to eat. Don't worry, God will supply even if he has to send you some ravens. Amen? He can do it. Even if you're, I thought about this, even if your 17-year-old boy has got to go into slavery and be gone for 20 years before you ever see him again or have hopes to see him again, and that same boy is able to provide not just for your family, but for the whole entire nation of Egypt. Who's that? Joseph. Joseph. And Jacob. God can provide for you, and it may not come in the way that you think it will. But the Bible strongly testifies to this, that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. 
And he delighteth in his ways. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. For the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. I have seen the young, and now I am old. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That is the testimony of God. And then he says, you'll have water to drink. You'll be provided with water. God took two different times in the nation of Israel's history. Twice he provided water out of a rock. And who would have thought that just a few weeks ago, we wouldn't have any water. And God provided water for 19 people to flush stones. Now we had to do a little work with some five-gallon buckets out of a swimming hole, out of a swimming pool, but praise God. Hey, we had water. Amen? God, God's promises are true and righteous altogether. And then he says, a repaired vision. For he says in verse number 17, Thy eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. When you live righteously, you have a restful life and you have a repaired vision. You'll remain on solid ground. And you'll not just have bread to eat and water to drink, but you, my friend, he will give you something even greater than that. The people that live for the Lord Jesus Christ, live for God Almighty, He gives to us His Son. And the type, these things I just read to you, bread, water, vision, and a fortress, all of those are just types of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread. Jesus said, I am the water. Jesus said, I am the door. And Jesus said there that in Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 22, the light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, that whole body shall be full of light. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You want to see God? Well, my friend, this world is very shaky. And so it's very important that we live right by God's word. If we're ever going to get a good glimpse of Jesus, then we need to stand for what is right. And when you stand for what is right, you'll be able to see the Lord in a way that you never have before. I don't necessarily mean a miraculous vision of Jesus Christ coming down or anything like that. But you'll be able to see his word more clearly and more openly. And as time goes on, you'll gain a firmer ground and a firmer foundation as you live righteously for Him. May God help us all to have a firm foundation rested solidly on Christ Jesus, our Lord, and His commandments and His Word. I want to take just a few moments here before we...